0: Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Enjoy.
1: Have you ever been to Disneyland?
0: Affirmative.
1: That was definitely an
2: E-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. Well, we didn't even
0: have a house phone. not to mention laser dish. high high-def
1: TV. You are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show... My dad says, so are you, are you ready to go to dental school? And I, and, and I stopped and I said, well, dad, uh, I got accepted into art school. And he just, like, he just stopped cutting his food and he just looked at me. And I said, and I, I got, and I think, I think I'm going to try that instead. I thought he was going to kill me. And instead he looks at me and he says, well, I just want you to be happy.
0: Oh.
2: Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the GBB Podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash The GBB Podcast, and I'm Justin Connors, and I'm here with... Jamie Green. I'm
0: Jamie Green. And Justin, you always forget to say this. We love when people tweet and Facebook us, but we have a phone number too, don't we?
2: We do, and you know, I don't know it by heart. That's
0: why I leave it out. Well, neither Um, do I. That's why I've got it on a yellow sticky note right in front of me. Nice. And if anybody wants to call us and leave us a message or leave us a voicemail or some hate mail, you can give us a call, 301-825-5653.
2: Speaking of hate mail, I heard that someone's going to be roasting us. Hopefully, here soon. <laughs> That's entirely my fault. Uh, I, you want well, to give the story about how
0: I got us into that? Yeah.
2: One? Well, Jamie decided uh, that completely he, unprompted and
0: on my own. I should say, yeah, totally on me.
2: That he wants our show to, or I guess we both do, we've talked about it to have an arch nemesis, <laughs> and we're in a we're in a Disney podcasting group. And jamie decided to post this and yeah
0: and we to be fair neither one of us really have any idea what that really means we just like the idea of saying like there are nemesis you yeah, know and like exactly. having like this rivalry but we don't really know what that would entail <laughs> and somebody actually asked us you know it was you know she was on the show before it was right. sarah wolowski from skywalking through neverland she's yep. on one of our very early shows she actually responded to it and she's like oh this sounds cool what would it entail and I was kinda had no answer. I was like, Oh, I I, I don't know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Jamie, what you should have said to her was, I challenge you to a Star Wars off.
0: A Star Wars duel.
2: <laughs> <laughs> On the show, Star Wars off, Jamie and Sarah, let's yeah. do it.
0: But Sarah is not the one who's roasting us, so No,
2: she no. Uh, um there's a there's another podcast called Mouse Rants and it's very NS, 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 NSFW, is that how you say it? Not yes, safe, not for, safe work. for work. Not safe for work. And he does a segment where he roasts Puck, podcast- and it's fantastic. His name is Jerry Skids. That's his name on there. And we're hoping he roasts us. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah,
0: he re- he responds. He- this a segment. He calls it Radio Wars. Mm-hmm. And basically what they do is I, I have to admit, I was unfamiliar with it until, until I sort of opened that door. And so I went and I listened to it and guys, if you're, if you're if you listen to podcasts <laughs> and you feel the pain of listening to a really bad podcast, you need to check this out because what he does, it's, t- it's two co-hosts and what they do is they just, they find like the worst episode <laughs> of the worst shows and they'll just like play segments of it. And they kind of do like MST3K, like they'll, right. they'll, like they'll talk over it or they'll let them play for a while. And then they'll come back in and they'll be like, okay, now listen. Yeah. And they'll like, they'll just like give their narration o- over it. and. Um, it is. It's a roast. Like they totally uh, it's hilarious. destroy some of these people. Oh, yeah. it, it is. And it's hilarious because it's hilarious from both sides. You know, mm-hmm. like I've listened to podcasts that are just like, you can't get past the first five minutes because right. it's so bad. And then as a podcaster, I know how difficult it is to sometimes, you know, get good audio or sometimes you you fumble and you can't mm-hmm. find the right words. But you know what? That's what editing is for. And right. that's why, you know, hats off. I bow down to Justin because as much credit as Justin gives me for being the master booker, what he calls me and getting some really great guests on the show, Justin is our our production guy. He's the post-production. He is the guy who does all the edit. I don't do anything. I, I show up for the interview. I log off. And then Justin sends me a finished file, which usually sounds phenomenal. So my hats are off to you. Thank sir, you very much. You do an amazing job every week putting these episodes together, well, thank which you so I much. can't do. So. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and that's why we work together as a creative team. So that's why we're such a great team. Right. So if Jerry, if Jerry does come at us, I don't even know how we'll respond because it's not like we're I'm not like the wittiest, like clever guy to you know come back at someone with some slams. But Yeah,
0: no, I'm I'm like at first I was a little scared. I was
2: like, oh I what, what yeah.
0: have I done? You know? And then I just Got curious, you know. It's like, right? Okay, well, what would he well, say? Which, which episode would he would he pick? You know, like, what would he say? What would he, you know? And I'm sure he told- usually he's 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 hitting the ha- head. Yeah, he's hitting the, the the nail right on the head. Like, he knows exactly where to nitpick. You know, right. A lot of these things aren't nitpicking either.
2: No, and I guarantee you, he's gonna go after our uh, like our run Disney one or something we did when we we, we weren't sure of what, like what of our the first five episodes. Yeah, we weren't sure of what our show was yet those type of ones yeah but even
0: those were kind of good conversation i don't know yeah they were they i haven't listened to them in a year so i don't
2: know yeah we'll have to listen back and see (laughs) i don't know
0: (laughs) see i don't listen to these shows again Justin's (laughs) the one who's forced to listen to them when he edits them right as soon as we get off the phone or get off skype with whoever our guest was i never listen to it
2: again and the jonathan the jonathan frakes one interviewing that like because the stuff i had to cut out was hilarious and i still have it all saved I'm going to put it at the front of our episodes, (laughs) stuff he said. Or just have like a bloopers episode. Yes, exactly. I couldn't leave it all in there, but it was so funny. Um, Also, just some housekeeping before we get to our main interview. Um, Today, Jamie's second article, is it your second one, came out with StarWars.com? Yep. And with that, we are now, it's into the world. We know you are going to have a column on StarWars.com, a recurring column. That's that's pretty awesome. (laughs) It is
0: pretty awesome. I, (laughs) I, um, I guess I knew. Okay. So the deal is right now I'm writing every other week on Mondays. Mm -hmm. Um, and the way that it works there is that each contributor sort of has his or her own niche, you know, like there's, there's somebody who usually writes about like really kind of wacky out there collectibles. There's Mm -hmm. somebody who really writes about rebels. You know, there's somebody who writes about crafts, like hot, like making your own things. Um, And so that was sort of one of the big reasons that I was able to get in there is because I write for Geek Dad and I have my own blog and I write about sort of parenting type Mm -hmm. stuff. I mean, that's my shtick, I guess, what I call kid-friendly geekiness. Um, and that was sort of the angle that they liked. They liked that I could come in because I guess not many of the other contributors are parents. Right. I don't know if any of them are, but he he had said that, you know, he he's a relatively new father, the you know, the editor I was talking to, and he said I like I like that that you can bring that angle to it, that you yeah. know, that geeky parenting angle. And so that's sort of my thing. He's we we've called it um parenting Padawans is nice. the name of the column, I guess. Um and uh, yeah, I, so I kind of knew it was going to be a every other week kind of thing and that it was going to have this regular name like right. for the column. But when the post went up today, they prefaced it with, you know, like a little paragraph that I don't know if it goes in front of every article about just saying this is part of this column kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it said in there that um, which I was. Tweeting and quoting today that it was a quote unquote it was a StarWars.com dot exclusive column is what I, I right. do. So, so
2: so Star Wars Award podcast awards yeah. do, do any of those podcasts have writers for StarWars.com dot on them I don't know
0: ours does you mean you mean the epi- <laughs> the shows that were nominated yeah I'm, I'm sure I some know. of them do <laughs> yes um, Coffee with Kenobi um, has uh, Dan Dan Zare is right. um, one of the writers. And I believe you're gonna make me do research, but I'm not gonna do it at this point. Yeah, um, whatever. <laughs> there is another regular contributor to Star I, Wars I'm just that saying, is also a podcast. I'm just saying we do. So, hey, but we're not a Star Wars We're noticeably
2: Wars missing. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm not. <laughs> See, that's why I'm not throwing we never get nominated
0: for those fan things because we're right. not a Star Wars con- podcast. We're not right. a Disney podcast, so we're not gonna get nominated in any of those. Right. Where they all just kind of get lumped together as Disney mm-hmm. podcast or Star Wars podcast because we do more than that.
2: That's okay, but we do have friends that were on Rick Rubello, who was on our show uh, a couple weeks ago. I think his yep. podcast is up, so we are officially going to throw. As I feel like I'm in the U.S. election. We are officially going to endorse <laughs> <laughs> the coffee. Is it Coffee with Kenobi? I don't. Want no, to no, 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 wrong one. Yeah, yeah man, go vote for Coffee go for, with for Kenobi
0: them. They're a great show. Data um, one, the Data one, Data one podcast. Uh, it's with Rick Ribello and uh, Tony Nunes. It's also part of the Geek Dad podcast network. So right. um, they, as Rick said when he was, on, it was a, it was the Deadpool episode that he was on for. Yep. Um, they actually have two podcasts. The other one is Hey You Geeks, but mm-hmm. Dadawan is their Star Wars centric one. And so
2: Tony just followed us on Twitter today. So yay Tony, we're, he's a great guy. Shout him out.
0: He's, he's <laughs> a good guy. He's one of the few. Um, Yes, it's few. It's fewer than 10, so that's few, right? Few you know, <laughs> of other Geek Dad contributors who I've met in person. And he's a great awesome. guy. So definitely go check out their shows, both of them. Um, Dadawan is relatively new, so I think there's only a few episodes. Right. Um, and go vote. We'll put a link in the uh, this episode's notes. Perfect. The-
2: Geek Geek Dad Podcast Network supporting each other.
0: <laughs> yes, that's what we're all about, man. Exactly. So we'll- share the love.
2: Exactly. All right. So we've done enough yammering. I'm going to say it like I'm a New Yorker. Yammering. Cameron uh, for the, for now. So let's get on to what, what are we talking? Who are we talking to? What are we talking about? What's going on? <laughs> I'm lost. What's going on here? Come Again, on. Justin just shows
0: up when I tell him to be. <laughs> so this week we sit down. I sit down. This was yes. uh, this was another solo Jamie. Um, <laughs> Justin has a life or something and had yeah. to be something else this day. Um, I sat down with Dan Santat, who uh, is an amazing children's book author and illustrator. Um, he's probably most well-known now for writing uh, The Adventures of Beagle The Unimaginary Friend, which won the Caldecott, uh, the Caldecott Medal last year, 2015. Um, he's written, he's illustrated a lot of books. Uh, he's also written and illustrated an amazing graphic novel called Sidekicks. Um, the conceit there is sort of like all these animal sidekicks for superheroes sort of join up and create their own team. Um, it's really awesome. Go check it out. Um, he's got another book coming out that he's, um, I think it's a storybook, but it's a book he both, he wrote and illustrated called, are we there yet? Um, and so we just, you know, we talked about, um, winning the Caldecott, how it sort of changed his career, changed his creative approach. Um, oh, he also, the Disney, uh, animated show, the replacements, which was on, I think it was on the Disney channel. I don't know which channel it was on, um, a few years ago. Uh, he created that. And so um, we talk a lot about that the show, you know, what, what it was like working in animation versus publishing, um, and sort of his feelings about going back into the world of animation and, and how it's very different from what he thought it was.
2: Awesome. So we're going to play that uh, interview for you right now. Hope you like it. Enough. <laughs>
0: Dan, thanks so much for uh, taking time out of your day to talk with us today. This is, this is great.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: Oh, no, the pleasure is all mine. Um, let's start where all good interviews should start with Wikipedia, because uh, Wikipedia never lies, right? All right. There's a <laughs> picture of me in Wikipedia. It looks like I'm sleeping where I'm actually like <laughs> signing books, I think, in D.C. Um, well, unless Wikipedia lied to me, I was intrigued to learn that you have a bachelor's degree in microbiology. I do from UCSD. Uh, how does one parlay something like that into publishing in children's literature?
1: So I was always I was always a huge fan of uh, art. You know, like I grew up I grew up uh, you know reading Peanuts and uh, Calvin and Hobbes and and Blondie and you know all all the all the great Sunday comics and um you know my parents my parents my father was a doctor my mother was a nurse and they they just, they wanted me to be a doctor. And that was just, that was just kind of the, these are your options. You can be a surgeon or you can be a psychiatrist or you can maybe be a dentist, but we don't really think that's a real doctor. Um, so, you know, drawing was something that I was never allowed to do. You know, they, they, They never let me take art classes because they never wanted to discourage me from my true dream of someday becoming a doctor. Um, And also, you know, I was kind of a reluctant reader. Like I didn't um, I didn't really like to read because typically my parents were very utility type people where, you know, oh, well, if you're going to read a book, why don't you read a math book? Right. Better at math or read a history book. So, you know, all the important dates when the SAT comes. (laughs) um and because of that i didn't i didn't really i didn't really like to read uh and it wasn't until i fell in love with you know sunday comics and then eventually that evolved into comic books you know i was mainly a marvel guy Mm -hmm. and then um and then i remember looking at the artwork and thinking you know i just want to see if i can if i can do this you know like if i can draw this this Jim Lee version of Wolverine or whatever, right? And, uh, I, and I would, I would, I would just sit there at a table with a piece of paper and I would copy it freehand because I didn't think I didn't want to trace on top of it because I thought that was cheating. Hmm. So I would just that was my art lesson. Like I would just copy pictures of all these superheroes and Garfield and and so forth. And after a while, what happens is that you do it enough times and um, you just take it, you learn it by heart, and eventually yeah. you know how to draw these things without looking at a photo. Um, so, you know, I, I graduated from high school, um, you know, my parents are still pushing me towards getting into a, a good, uh, UC that, uh, has a, has a really good, you know, biology program. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I got accepted into UC San Diego and, uh, you know, got my degree in microbiology, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I took the DATs, got accepted into, um, UC Irvine dental school. Mm -hmm. And by the time I did that, I kind of realized that I would, I felt like I was going to really regret life. I didn't try to see if I could just get into art school. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to see if I could get in. And so, um, you know, I just started going all over San Diego trying to find figure drawing workshops or anything to kind of get me, on the right path towards putting together an art portfolio to apply to art school excuse me that's my bird (laughs) um and then um you know looking on the internet looking at art schools you know made a portfolio applied to applied like seven or eight different schools uh graduation day comes around and my dad we're at we're at dinner we're at graduation dinner and my dad my dad says so you are you ready to go to dental school? And I, and, and I stopped and I said, well, dad, uh, I got accepted into art school Mm. and he just like, he just stopped cutting his food and he just looked at me and I said, and I, I got, and I think, I think I'm going to try that instead. And I thought he was going to murder me. I thought he was going (laughs) to, I thought he was going to kill me. And instead he looks at me and he says, well, I just want you to be happy. Oh, no. Um, and from that point, I kind of felt like it was an opportunity for me to, um, I don't know, I wanted yeah. to show him that it wasn't going to be a mistake.
0: Yeah. You did, know. Did they eventually come around? They, they were, you know,
1: like right from the bat, it was like 100% supportive. I mean, part of it was, this was around the time when uh, Disney came out with The Lion King. And CG animation, like Mm -hmm. all the computer animation and stuff, was really starting to get on its feet. And there'd be numerous articles about, um, you know, oh, learn how to draw with a computer and make a six-figure salary. And I remember, like, I I thought this was a great opportunity for me to kind of use this as uh, an arsenal to tell my dad, like, look, you know, I mean, art can be a valid career. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, like I, I showed him all the articles, like, look, you can make a living doing comic books and, and, you know, and, and all this. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I could tell when I was going through art school, he was very, he could, there was a little bit of skepticism, but he was still very supportive. Yeah. And I originally went in there thinking I wanted to be a, an animator. You know, I thought I wanted to work at DreamWorks or something. And, um, you know, by the time I, I took my first animation course. And I hated it so really? i I took like a i took like a Maya a three d Maya class and you know soft like computer software like 3 d softwares you can look at it and you can tell that a programmer designed it because yeah. rather than just having a slider bar say I want this to be shinier I want this to be really you know like non reflective mm-hmm. it's well, calculate among the sine waves between a value of zero and one and how shiny you want this to be, but you have to assign it by code that it's going yeah. to be shiny. And I'm like, this is the worst.
0: <laughs> this is so
1: this is the worst way to 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 do anything.
0: Yeah, not creative and in the way that you wanted it to be.
1: Right. And so, also while I was in art school, you know, everybody knew that that computer animation and stuff was a hot thing. So. Really, the skills that you learned on there were – it was gold. So if you knew it, that just gave you a leg up on everybody else. And so if someone taught themselves something, you know, it was kind of a cold shoulder you would get if you asked them like, well, how did you do that? And they would yeah. look at you and say, well, I figured it out. Why don't you figure it out? Yeah. And I was just like, all right, um, you know, there's got to be a better way to tell stories. And then, you know, there was a children's book writing and illustrating course that – that art center provided. I went to the art center college of design. Um, and I took that course and I fell in love. I, I just fell in love with it. You know,
0: Yeah.
1: I fell in love with the format. It was a, it was a venue that I could, you know, Oh, I can draw, I can draw dragons. I can draw robots. I can draw, you know, all kinds of cool things. Um, and the other, on, on the other hand also it was the unsexiest, you know, field of illustration. Everybody wanted to be a gallery artist. Everyone wanted to be, you know, an art director at Pixar or something like that. And then, you know, it was me and one other friend and, you know, we were the ones in the children's book class and, yeah. you know, everyone would look at you and say, oh, that's, that's cute. You want to do pictures for kids. <laughs> uh, but you know, 10 years later, here I am. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's been, it's been, it's been incredible and, and, uh, you know, that's that's the long answer to your yeah.
0: question. <laughs> well, well, absolutely. I mean, what I'm going to pull a lot of things out of that. But one of the things that you um, you mentioned, which I thought is interesting, is that you said you were um, a reluctant reader mm-hmm. and sort of I guess it sounds like you you credit comics and graphic novels with sort of pulling you out of that and getting you excited about reading. I'm wondering, because as you go around, do school visits and talk to kids and meet kids, I'm sure you've met a lot of similar reluctant readers um is that what you tell them or like you know how do you do you have any like advice or suggestions for them on how to get out of that that you know glut of not really enjoying reading
1: oh absolutely i mean that's um it's funny because there are some schools that even though you come as a, you know a guest speaker they really want to uh, encourage uh, you know oh we want these kids to learn something from your presentation <laughs> And I do a different kind of presentation where it's more of an entertaining, surreal kind of yeah. Willy Wonka-ish kind of presentation. But, um, yeah, you know, I do have those moments where I talk to kids about um, learning to love to read. And, yeah. and, um, and you know, um, I think my first – I think the first time I really realized the power of responsibility that I possessed was I, I did a graphic novel in 2007 called Sidekicks hmm. And um, and I was just getting I was just getting a number of emails like fan letters and stuff from people, you know, from parents and teachers who said, you know, we we have this boy, we have this student, uh you know, we have this kid. They they hated reading, but they read your graphic novel and now they're in love with reading. And and and, you know, it was um, I, I related to those kids, you know, it's just a matter of finding something that you like to read. Right. And so I always tell kids that, you know, if you're going to read something, read something that you want to know more about, because if you love it, it's not going to feel like a chore. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, I do. I do tell them. I tell them exactly what I went through. Um, and, and I think it's that relatability that they can. I, I find that to be the case in most kids who are reluctant readers. It's not that they. It's not that they don't want to read. It's that, you know, they they kind of resent some of the things mm-hmm. that they're told that they have to read.
0: They haven't found what it is that they love yet.
1: Right. Right. No. You know, uh, like uh, I have a niece who's in high school and, you know, she's talking about, you know, reading, reading, you know, these these classics that she just doesn't relate to, like mm-hmm. Wrath and, and all these things. And but, you know, she can she can. She can inhale a John Green novel, or she can inhale, you know, Divergent or Hunger gains. and you know, I think that's just that's just it. It's a, it just has to be something that the 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 child can relate to. Sure,
0: absolutely. Um, another thing that I think is is kind of interesting is that you say when you were at school, you 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 wanted to be an animator, so you took the classes, and it you know wasn't what you expected, so you ended up doing children's illustration for children's books. But yet, it's the, your road still led you to Disney with the replacements.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, the story behind that was my first picture book came out in 2004. It was called The Guild of Geniuses, and um, and then I got this I got this call from uh, this Hollywood agent agency, and they and they said, uh, you know, we saw. We saw your book, *The Guild of Geniuses*. We think you'd be a pretty good fit for our agency. How would you like to go out and, you know, pitch TV show ideas?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, and I said, okay, sure. You know, why why not? I mean, that's that sounds pretty interesting. Something I can, you know, take a stab at. Sure. I, don't, I don't expect much out of it. But um, you know, I met with them. They were great. They set me up with meetings. The first meeting I went to. Uh, was at uh, Nickelodeon, and um, The Replacements was originally a picture book idea that I had. Um, I, I was originally signed a, a two-book deal. The first one was Guild of Geniuses. The second one was um, untitled, and I thought I was going to do The Replacements as my second picture book. So I go into this pitch meeting, and um, – I just think well I mean since it's under contract with the publisher then maybe it's okay to 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 pitch it. And mm-hmm. So I pitched it to Nickelodeon and they said that's a really great idea but we have a cartoon here called the X's which sounds a little similar and uh, and so that you know then that was my first taste of of pitching and um you know it's it it was this uh it was this uncomfortable beast of yeah sitting there and looking at an executive and trying to figure out what it is that they liked. Um, and then my very next pitch, which was like a week later, was at Disney. And, you know, I, I pitched the replacements and they, they loved the idea. And like two weeks later they made an offer. And, uh, and then, um, and then, you know, I think at the time, the president of Disney animation, TV animation really loved the idea that he basically just like, wrote it to the top and a year later, the thing got greenlit. Hmm. Um, so you know, from my experience at art school, despising animation, I ended up in a situation where I got to have my own cartoon show. And this was, Oh my gosh, this was like four or five years out of art school. Yeah. And you know, and now I'm in a position where I have to, you know, work with a crew and pretend that I know what I'm
0: talking about. (laughs) Were you thinking at all like, oh, this is just how careers go, you know, I mean, four years out and I've got a show on Disney.
1: You know what it was? I thought this is it. I've peaked. Like, oh, really? You know, like this is my lightning in a bottle. Hmm. And uh, and I was really so this is the weird thing about it is that, you know, they greenlit the show. You're working on the pilot. You're working on the episodes for so long that you actually, by the time it premieres on TV, maybe I can't speak for everybody else, but for myself, once it made it on TV, I was so sick of it. Yeah, I've heard that before. And I was just, it was like, I don't know. I felt really lousy because it was like an anticlimactic feeling, you know, Mm -hmm. seeing your name on TV and you're just kind of like, oh, that happened. Yeah. You know, (laughs) It's history Uh, for
0: you at that point.
1: Right. And, um. Instead of go back into the whole thing, um, when I graduated from art school, uh, I knew it was going to take a while for me to get my uh, freelance career going with children's publishing and stuff. So the first job I got was working in the video game industry. I worked at Treyarch, uh, which was uh, you know owned by Activision, and I was working on um, the Spider-Man movie games, you know the mm-hmm. the the, the Tobey Maguire ones. And so while I was working full time at that game company, that's when I was going to do pitches and stuff. So <laughs> I would, I would leave work during lunch and I'd go out and pitch to all these places in, in <laughs> Burbank. And then I'd come back in time to go back to work. And then, you know, they they optioned the show and I'm working on the show after hours. Um, like I'd be done at the game company around, you know, seven o'clock. And then I'd get to I'd get to a office that uh, Disney had set aside for me and two other people uh, after hours and then I would work at Disney from like 8 p.m. to midnight mm. on, on this little pilot on this yeah. little you know animatic. And that went for like a year and and it was exhausting. And then when the show got picked up, I remember thinking, you know what? if this show doesn't last beyond one season if it gets canceled before that you know what am i going to do with myself and and so while the first season was being uh, you know created i still had my full time job at the game company i was too scared to leave it and Don't so for the, yeah and so for the entire first season i would work at the game company And then, like around nine o'clock, I'd get to the Disney Studios, and then I would work till midnight. And no one else was there; it was just me. And you know, I'd I'd have this little red stamp to like okay things. Mm -hmm. And then you know, it was like the weird animation fairy like came overnight and just like okayed these things. And then the sun would come back up, and it's like, hey. They okayed these. <laughs> so once I found out that the show got picked up for a second, second season, third season, um, that was when I said, Okay, well, maybe I'm comfortable enough to leave the game company.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I realized that I, you know, I was just so paranoid. Like I was so worried about about leaving the job that my friend, who was the art director, had to lay me off.
0: Oh, really?
1: He said, Look. We're doing a third round of layoffs. They, they hadn't laid me off like for two rounds. And it was at a point where I think it was clearly obvious that my heart wasn't in the job. Yeah. And uh, and he had to say to me, he had to say, listen, I know you're off to like a lot of much better things than this place. So would you want to be laid off? And I said – and I remember thinking you have to lay me off because I don't have the courage to quit. <laughs> And so, you know, so he he kindly laid me off and then uh, and then I started working at Disney during the day and what ended up happening as a result was I would have to deal with all those execs during the day. Yeah. And I realized that I couldn't stand any of them. <laughs> you had been escaping them for the whole year. <laughs> right. And so after that first season I said, you can do whatever you want with this show. I'm done. Yeah. You can do whatever you want with the show i don't want any part of it and uh and they were more than they're like oh that's great <laughs> we'll be happy to take this from you um and that's and that's when i finally just settled solely into children's books and that was gosh you know uh five years six years later um you know i'm i'm here and i had three jobs at the time yeah disney the video game company and then I would go home at night to work on books and freelance illustration and now I'm just left with the freelance stuff yeah and um the weird thing about all this is that I kept those jobs because I was worried about job security and then you know I'd have to say maybe eight months or a year into freelancing I realized that having someone constantly dangling your job over your head was the worst feeling in the world. Yeah. And that being freelance was the most liberating thing ever. Like I was no longer afraid about whether or not I was going to work or not because I knew that I think I felt like, you know, my fate was dependent on my effort. Exactly. And I just figured if I work harder than everybody else, I'll make it work. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it was a really big, huge, life changing moment for me to do that. Um, and then, yeah. And then, so with all that spare time, that's when I, that's when I actually started focusing more on my children's book work because mm-hmm. I used to spread myself too thin. You know, it's, like yeah. I come home and I'm like, it's midnight and I have till 3 a.m. to work on this book, you know, and, and the work was, you know, not, not the best. Yeah. You know, so when I finally got to sit down and work on it, that's when the reviewers were just like, who's this new guy? <laughs> like, I've five. been around. Just, this book is like a huge leap forward. Yeah.
0: Um, do, um, I mean, do you do you look back on that time, you know, on the replacements? Like, do you look back on that show with any sort of pride? Or do you just sort of say, "Ah, oh, it's this thing that I did? Oh,
1: oh, gosh. You know, I hate to say it. It's more of the latter. Yeah. It's, um, well, uh, well you know when i when a book when i would have a book come out in my bio it would say oh you know he created the replacements i even says that on my twitter page so i think there is yes there is a great sense of pride because um you know not not a lot of people get that opportunity exactly. so you know why why not be proud of it um but at the same time there is this feeling of working on a show and you look at it and it says created by Dan Santat mhm and then you know what behind the scenes, you're sitting there and you're arguing with execs about every little detail. Yeah. And in the end, it says created by Dan Santat, but you don't necessarily feel like it was created by Dan Santat. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I mean, shortly after that show... I kind of, you know, I just stopped pitching show ideas. I just I I didn't like going in and trying to do the dog and pony show and, you know, doing the little monkey dance and, you know, oh, please love my stuff because really it's 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 just a constant dangling carrot. And and, you know, I used to do this thing where I would come up with, you know, multiple ideas so that if I went in for a pitch, I could say, okay, um, you know, they have to like one of these. Yeah, if you don't like this one, I got another one. Right, yes. right. And by the time the dust settled and they, they didn't like any of them, then then my next step would say, well, which one of these could be a you know a feasible picture book idea or yeah. You know, something? Yeah. And really, it's like i look at the ideas and I'd say, these are really subpar. Like these are not great ideas. These are ideas that I kind of formulated out of desperation of like I have a meeting next week and I have to come up with more. <laughs> Be, you know, like I'm trying to fill a niche. Yeah. And um. and so just for me, like in terms of in terms of, you know, the way I the way I value my work, I, I just I I don't let I don't force myself to come up with ideas like I kind of let inspiration come and, mm-hmm. you know, and then, um, you know, like I just I just I just sold a picture book idea uh, about a month ago. And, you know, it was an idea that was just gestating in my brain for maybe three it's like three years yeah you know like that's that's how i work i I sit there and i think if i can say the pitch or you know whatever if i can say the premise in one
0: sentence then it's worth my time Mm -hmm. but it it takes a while it sounds like for it to get to that point it's gotta it's gotta like grow and develop for a long time
1: um well i mean you have seeds of ideas
0: Mm -hmm. like um you could say, oh, I want to do
1: a story that's a metaphor on a child's perception of time. Mm-hmm. Like, you can do that. But then to to kind of have it turn into something a little bit more interesting, something meaningful, you have to think, you know, a little bit out of the box in sure. terms of, you know. Um, like, for example, when you go out and pitch shows, what you realize is that what you think was an original idea is something that a lot of other people have been thinking about. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one of the reasons why uh, my book, The Adventures of Beagle, got optioned by DreamWorks was because, you know, it was a take on imaginary friends that wasn't uh, presented to them before. Typically, a lot of people and they and, you know, I remember talking with the executive at, at DreamWorks and they said the typical the typical imaginary friend plot that we would get is boy grows up with an imaginary friend ends up growing up too old to have an imaginary friend mm-hmm. imaginary friends left with nothing right what do they do that's right. 99.9% of the pitch ideas that that they get sure you know and then they hear mine and it's oh here's an imaginary friend who hasn't been imagined yet and he yeah. find a child to love him like that's that's kind of the type of thinking that I try to go through like well what is what do you hear most often and how can I make this different from that?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned Beekle, and you got you you won the Caldecott for that. Um, yes. So congratulations. Thank year, you very a, much. A year late. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, worries, no worries, But no I th- I think that there's a lot of mystery sort of surrounding those kind of those awards, like the Caldecott and the Newberry. Mm-hmm. Uh, is th- were you aware that you were on some sort of a shortlist before you won, or did it just come out of nowhere?
1: Um. So. What happens is that uh, all over the country, a lot of schools and libraries will have their their mock Caldecott's. You know, they'll pick their favorite books of the year, and then right. they'll take they'll take votes with their students or their faculty or whatever, and they'll they'll come up with their own uh, you know educated guesses of who they think will win the Caldecott Medal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you would get you would get tweets from people, from schools all over the country. Hey, you won the medal at our school. You Mm -hmm. won the honor at our school. Um, Also, the publisher also will kind of get a feeling of whether or not your book might be Mm award-worthy. And so they might put you on a heavier... uh, They'll
0: position it differently.
1: Like rotation, yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, I had a feeling like, OK, maybe it has a chance. But, um, you know, you uh, what comes with a lot of mock Caldecots and a lot of end of the year discussions, best of the year lists is, um, you know, people will pick their clear favorites. And, you yeah. know, and, and uh, you know, there were there were, you know, five or six other books that were just getting so much more hype than my book. That I thought, well, there's no chance. There's mm-hmm. no chance it all went. Um, but you know, like my book was still being talked about, just not not a not a third as much as all the other like the other books. And so, um, gosh, I remember I remember the night. I remember the night before. Oh, I had this. I had the worst heartburn because I I knew that by tradition, you know, the committee would call you early in the morning to tell you that you won. Right. And, uh, you know, you just, you just, if there's even like 1% of hope, you just hold on to that hope and it just, it just eats you alive. You're like, Oh, what if, what if? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember I couldn't sleep that night. And so I just said, oh, you know, I'm just going to work. And I worked till, you know, I was working in my studio till like two 30 in the morning and then I said at some point I said, well, I guess I guess I should go close my eyes. Like, I guess just try to go sleep. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then uh you know, I wake up again at 4:15 in the morning. Like I it was just I was exhausted, but you know, I, oh, I had the worst heartburn. I had the worst heartburn. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sitting there in my bed for 15 minutes and I'm thinking, okay, well, they should be calling from Chicago. That's, you know, 2 hours ahead. <laughs> So I guess they already called. Like I guess I already called. And that means that means I probably didn't win. And then your mind just goes to this ugly place where you just like, you know what? Why did I think I had a chance? Like I don't yeah. deserve it. Like I don't deserve nice things like this, you know? And then 15 minutes later, the phone rang, oh. and
0: oh, your heart must have leaped out of your chest. I
1: lost my mind, and I thought, well, when the phone rang, my first thought was this is it there's nobody there's no other reason why anybody could <laughs> call me at this time and so before i answered i thought this is them telling me that i got an honor
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know because no way no they don't give they don't give the actual medal to people like me they give it to like you know you know, bigger names and so you know they uh and they told me I won the medal, and I I just started crying. I just oh. started crying right there on the spot because I thought, oh, my gosh. Like, you know, this was beyond my realm of imagination. Like, I never even – I would never even pretend in my mind. You know how sometimes you're like, oh, oh you know, like, oh, yeah. the basketball players go, going he has three seconds on the clock, you know, that kind of moment. Like, for me, it was this moment where – I never pretended that, oh, Caldecott medalist Dan Santac, because it just always sounded very pompous. You know, like, I always felt like if you dreamed about winning the Caldecott medal, then somewhere deep inside, you probably think you deserve it. Right. And I never wanted to, I never wanted to have that feeling, because I never, I don't know, everything always felt like I had to earn it. I mean, up, up to, you know convincing my parents that I should go to art school. Everything just felt like it had to be earned.
0: Yeah. You know. So, I mean, honestly, it's in the year in change, I think, since you've won. Mm-hmm. How how has it not only changed your career but the way that you approach your work? Um, if at all.
1: Oh, you know, tremendously. So, um, you know, it's funny cuz some people think, well, now that you've won, all all the worries must go away because you right. you did it.
0: They just get compounded, don't they?
1: It gets worse. Yeah. Because you sit there and you think to yourself, well, and you know, I think I I think I've clearly at this point realized that I have some sort of imposter syndrome because <laughs> the whole time I'm thinking, wow, like there's a part of me that feels like there's gonna be people out there that think he was lucky, like it was it was a fluke. And you know, there's a part of you that says I don't want people to think it was a fluke. You know, I want I want to make sure that the work that I do after this is up to par, or it meets. You know, the Caldecott Medal is not an award that you can earn. Mm-hmm. It's a war. It's an award that you're given, and you mm-hmm. feel like you have to be worthy of it. And so, oh, my gosh, the first few months of winning the award was uh, just trying to figure out uh, what where I was going to go from there. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, people have these aspirations. Oh, someday I want to do this. Someday I want to do that. I mean, in children's publishing, winning the Calicott medal is it like that's yeah. that's it. And so you think to yourself i was always very goal oriented it, it started out when my career started i said i would like to uh you know like in for picture books it's like if they decide to make a poster of your book then that's huge right you know it's like oh my god they made a poster you know so it's always little baby steps it was like i hope i hope i get a better advance for my next mm-hmm. book i hope uh you know i hope they make a poster or bookmarks or uh i hope they send me to um, you know, this conference or this book (laughs) festival, you know, it was always goal oriented, you know, and I never felt like, like if they never considered me, I always just automatically felt like, well, it's because I didn't earn it yet. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not there yet. And so, you know, when, when you, when you win the Caldecott medal, the first thought is, well, what, where do I, what do I do now? Where do I go from here? And, um, I remember, and it's a really crappy thing that, I found out that most of the winners do to themselves and it's that they sit there and they realize that they kind of have this pressure where they feel like they have to perform to a certain expectation.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And it's, uh, and you know, I finished, I finished my following book and you know, I remember the publisher saying, well, now this is the point. Well, actually all the publishers, like even books that I published, uh, you know, and they wanted to uh, republish, or they wanted to bring out of print, you know, bring mm-hmm. back into print. You know, they said, oh, we're gonna now put uh, from Caldecott medalist Dan Santat, you know, on right. there. And the thing about that is that when you do that, and you print it on that book, everything you do, everything you do after winning a Caldecott medal, you feel will be compared to your best work. Sure. And that's just it's just this pressure that that it's overwhelming. And of course, it's unfair to do that to yourself to to kind of put that pressure on yourself to say, every book I have to do from now on has to be just as good as Beagle. Right. you know it's 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 uh, it's it's unrealistic. And you know, and I remember going through you know seven or eight weeks of just stressing out about it, And my agent called me one day. And she said, uh, you know, and this was like maybe a month and a half before I was supposed to even receive the award. And she said to me, she said, uh, you know, I can, I can just tell by talking to you that you're not enjoying this. And I really think that you just need to take some time off because at this point she told me, she said, you know, now that you've won this medal, an excellent time to sell your next book and so i remember i was sitting there writing and i was just getting really frustrated with myself because everything i wrote i said this isn't as good as what i was writing before and you know she told me she said you're not enjoying this you need to take you need to take a month off or else you're gonna really regret not enjoying what you've just achieved right and so um so like like the first week into it, I was just like, oh, I'm relaxing sucks. I hate. <laughs> two weeks into it, you're just like, ah, oh, this, stuff, oh, I just, oh, I hate. How do people do this? How do people just not doing anything? And then into the third week, you're sitting there and you're playing Xbox, and you're kind of like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. I forgot, I forgot that I I had you know Mass Effect two for two years and I never touched it. And, uh, and then you're playing mass effect and you're going through it and you're like, Oh man, I forgot how addicted I used to be in video games. Like that was my college, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, uh, and then a month into it, you're finally kind of like, I think for me, it was like maybe six weeks into it. I finally settled into a groove. And then what I noticed was that my brain started coming up with ideas. And, you know, prior to that, Every time I had writer's block, every time I felt stuck, I just thought I would just fight through it. Mm-hmm. You know, I would just, oh, just keep writing, just keep writing, you'll write through it. But what ended up happening was by, by giving my brain an opportunity to relax and to take a break, it gave the brain, you know, this opportunity to wander and just mm-hmm. like, just kind of, you know, free, like improvised thinking. And so a lot of the... A lot of the first book ideas that I did, the replacement, Beagle, uh, you know, all these books. It was back when I was working at the game company, and I had an hour commute each way from my home to the game company, and it was in that traffic, an hour each way, when my brain would just sit there and come up with these ideas, and then I, and you know, and it clicked. I said, "Oh, well, here I was for the last six weeks, not not thinking of anything, and now." It's, it's becoming familiar again. I'm remembering the value of boredom, really, to kind of just let your brain relax and just think of –
0: just let it improvise. It's fun. That's – I mean I that's when I come up with most of my ideas as well right. for whatever I'm working on. It's when I'm sitting in the car, sitting in traffic or just driving. And uh-huh. you're right. It's just Your brain starts to just wander and – you know, I've, I've taken to either just having like a little notebook or using my, my phone. I just record uh, little voice messages so I don't forget them. But that's where all of the ideas that come to me are. It's right. invariably it's when I'm driving.
1: I'm still very skeptical, like not, not that I'm skeptical, but I'm still very cautious because I don't want it to evolve into laziness. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to be that guy that's, oh, my God, <laughs> I just feel like doing nothing today except eating a bucket of chicken.
0: Right. Yeah. You know,
1: like, <laughs> So, um, it's funny because I know, I, you know, I, I remember how useful it is, but at the same time, I don't, I don't want to forget how much importance I had in hard work that got me to this point. Yeah. Um, and so now, you know, so now when I approach stories, you know, what's funny is that after writing Beagle, writing other stories after that, is, I don't know, I feel like I've feel like i leveled up. I feel like my game has gotten sharper. Like, I yeah. know exactly what I need to do. Um, you know, it's like playing, it's like playing, and I'm sorry, I'm not doing all these video game
0: references. No, that's like, fine. They make like,
1: sense. Uh, like, you know what's funny? is like, last night I was playing Fallout 4, and, uh, you know, you earn a stat, and then you go, oh, you get one action point. And, you know, it's like, you know what? I'll use that action point on intelligence. And it's mm-hmm. just like, it's one of these things where it's like, you know, in real life, that would require you to read a lot of books. <laughs> like, so like, But here, like, you know, I'm going around this wasteland and I'm just murdering people with my gun. And then, oh, you get an action point. You know what? I want to be smarter. You know, <laughs> like, that's kind of what happened with, with Beekle is that I wrote this book and then I just felt like I leveled up. And now it's weird. I can't explain it, but. But I've gotten a much better at editing myself before I even show it to the editor. Sure. Um, I don't know why that is, because I don't feel like I've changed as a person. Um, it's just... Uh,
0: Probably all that relaxing you've done. You've I let, guess. You let I your guess. brain refresh, and you know what's, what's good and what's not, and you can recognize it better. Right. And then also, you
1: also... Find yourself in a place where you don't want to, like, I don't know, I I can't speak for everybody else, but I also am in a place where I feel like I want to try to do something um, that isn't so much about pleasing the masses, but, you know, something that I feel will challenge me, like something that I can say, okay, I didn't I didn't expect myself to come up with something. Like this. Yeah. Uh, so I have a book coming out in April. I have a book coming out in April called "Are We There Yet?" And uh, the story is um, the story is uh, you know it's basically about you know a child's perception of time. You know, mm-hmm. being that if a if a boy gets you know if a child gets bored, then time feels like it's slowing down because they're so bored. Mm-hmm. And so in this in this case, the boy in the story, they're on a road trip. And uh, the boy gets so the boy gets so bored that he starts going back in time. He gets so bored. And um, one of the devices that I actually used was um, well, let me before I go to that. So the boy gets bored. He gets bored. He's going through time, and he's going through. You know, he he ends up on like their car ends up on a pirate ship, ends up in a jousting match, uh, ends up in Egypt. And then eventually he kind of snaps out of it and realizes that, you know, his mind has been wandering. And before before it st- like he ends up in the Jurassic era and they're like face to face with the Tyrannosaurus Rex. And then he starts playing with the Tyrannosaurus Rex. He throws a ball and then and then the T Rex, you know, plays fetch with him. And then he starts playing with, you know, he starts he starts playing with the the dinosaur. And he starts having fun. And then that's when time starts speeding up because. Because mm-hmm. when you're having fun, you know, it's time really seems much to slip away like really quickly. Anyway, he ends up having so much fun that he actually completely passes the present day and ends up in the future. <laughs> you know, now I was really proud of myself for coming up with this concept, you know, that that I could that yeah. that I could come up with a concept like this. Now, my challenge was really like, well, is this something that people can understand like I almost felt like maybe I was making a big inside joke to myself like oh I wonder if people will even get this and, yeah you know, and that's where the editor comes in and they say well yeah no people people get this I asked other people in the office yeah we totally get it yeah and then um and then you know in order to uh in order to uh take a take a just another interesting glimpse at at the book I said well, what if I could do something interactive with the book to make it more of an experience rather than just you reading a story? And I was reading, um, I was reading a Naruto comic with with my son one night. And you know, like a lot of Japanese manga, they they, they print from right to left. They mm-hmm. you know, they print backwards. But you know, I remember talking with my son. We were reading the comic. And I remember we were just totally weirded out. Just like you know, we're getting to like page thirty, page forty. And we're at a point where it wasn't until we got to around page 40 where we realized, okay, now my brain is finally getting used to going from right to left rather than left to right. But then I thought about it because we kept saying like, oh, we're reading this book backwards, backwards, backwards. And then it just dawned on me. I said, I have to adopt this. I have to adopt this into the picture book. I have to get – I have to somehow convince – I have to somehow get the reader to make the book – Go from right to left. Okay. And then the question was, well, how do I get there? And so I realized that by simply turning the book upside down, you're now turning the pages backwards. So at, so at at some point in in the book, when the boy starts getting bored, you actually have to turn the book upside down. Oh wow. And then when you're going back in time, you're turning the pages from from you're going
0: backwards. Yeah,
1: you're going backwards in time. And now. I'm 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 very big on form follows function, which is very much more of like a, a you know a designer or an industrial mm-hmm. design kind of uh, saying. Um, but for me, like I didn't want it to be like a gimmick. I didn't want it to be something that you know, oh look, you turned the book upside down. You yeah. Get it? Yeah. Um, I wanted I want the reader to be aware of why they're doing it. And now whether or not they get it whether they understand it maybe not everybody will get it and i can't convince everybody to get it but you know i I try to do everything in my power to have them comprehend that feeling sure uh but in the end result selfishly i did it because for me i just think it's a really interesting concept and it was something that i i had to convince the publisher to let me do because i presented it to them as a pdf Mm -hmm. And they looked at it and they were saying like, well, why are these spreads upside down? And I said, well, you have to turn the book upside down. They're like, well, why do you have to turn the book upside down? And I said, well, so you can turn the pages backwards because he's going back in time. And I'm like, I don't understand. And then I remember documenting and like I broke the images around and I said, okay, well, This is why you do this, you know? And I'm trying to like, I made like a chart or something. Like (laughs) Like a flow chart to follow? Yeah, I made a flow chart and they looked at it and they're like, um, still don't understand. (laughs) And so, what they actually had to do, they actually had to take my files and they actually had to cut it out and bind it together and make it into a little book.
0: Yeah. And then they they got
1: experience. They had to actually do it and go through the experience and then it wasn't until they actually interacted with the thing where they said, "Oh, now we get what you did." Mm. And so for me, you know, regardless of the success if the book does well, if the book doesn't get reviewed well or whatever, ultimately my main my main focus of interest is that I got to do this and then mm-hmm. people identify with it and they think that it works. Absolutely. That's all I that's all I can ever hope for with
0: this. You know? And when does that come out? April twelfth. 12th. twelfth. 12th. Definitely cool. gonna be looking out for that one. Fair. I, I love I love books that like you like you're saying, that play with the form a little bit and doesn't it's not just a gimmick, you know, that like yeah that uh, make you see things they, differently.
1: Perfect to lay book, press here.
0: Oh mm-hmm.
1: my gosh. I read that book and it's like, oh, press this dot and you turn the page and then the dot turns red and it, yeah. I don't know, like it just blew my mind. Like I just <laughs> press this, I press this dot on this piece of paper and it turns red. How did that happen? um But I remember reading that and like that was just such an amazing book that I thought, oh man, I would love to somehow do something with a book that was as smart as this. Yeah. yeah.
0: No. Well, what's, um, what's your preferred medium? Like how much, where, how much of your art is done digitally versus, you know, actually like pen and or ink and paper? Um,
1: when I was starting out, like when I was working at the game company and I would come home and I would do books, uh, it was probably like 95% digital, 98% digital. Uh, and then now that I've given myself a little bit more room, a little bit more freedom to, uh, to, you know, really focus on the craft. Um, I like to incorporate, uh, you know, as much, uh, tangible medium that I can. So I have to say right now I'm sitting at about 50, 50, you know, it's, it's half, it's like half, you know, real sketches, real watercolor washes, and then half digital. And, you know, I, I bring that all together. Um, and you know, God, maybe like seven, you know, like eight or nine years ago, I remember the the children's book publishing world like doing books digitally was like it was taboo. Like was like no one no one does that. No one does books digitally. Get out of here, you know. And it wasn't maybe until the last four or five years where I where the publishing industry just fully adopted it. And now and now I'd have to say probably probably half if not more of the of the artists who uh, work in the business probably do their books digitally
0: yeah yeah i would say it's probably more than half it's i it's a rare i i i have young kids and we get a lot of picture books and uh it's rare for me when i pick one up and you can tell that it was done by hand like if, whether it's watercolor or, or however it's it's right. created but right. so many of the books now are digitally and it doesn't mean they're not beautiful a lot most of them are just gorgeous but i for me there's something i really appreciate about art that you can tell was done by you know actually on ink on paper you know because digitally is still done by hand i don't like to say it was done by hand but you know i mean you know what i mean
1: (laughs) yeah yeah no i mean i mean um it uh so i remember uh i remember i had to do a painting demo like with like uh, acrylics and it had been years since i had worked in acrylics Mm -hmm. and uh and I remember I had to give this painting demo, and I just – I failed so hard in front of this class. Like, people were like, this guy, this guy, because he, like, makes artwork for a living, because this is pitiful. <laughs> you know, And I had to be like, listen, guys, I've been on Photoshop too long. And I'm a little rusty <laughs> with my color mixing. Um, why don't you just take five, and uh, maybe I'll come back, and I'll just plug in the laptop here, and I'll give you a painting demo on you know, the laptop. It was just really pathetic that – Yeah. I had lost my skills, and so um, I try every opportunity to, you know, get back into the into the traditional medium because I feel like it's just that part of your brain that you have to yeah you have to keep sharp. Sure. You know. Sure. So I'm I'm really glad that I can find this balance between, uh, uh you know, traditional and, and digital and um yeah you know I, I try to keep a sketchbook every everywhere I go. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, it, it it feels nice because the, the bad thing about working digitally is that you know when you finally have um, you know a show or something to show the work, you have to do a digital print of it, and it mm-hmm. doesn't feel as it's not as nice as having like an original one of a kind painting. Right. You know that's something that I miss. So right. you know for me, it's like well, I need to leave some kind of footprint.
0: You know?
1: <laughs> Should have some concept sketches or something, but I, I, I want to have something that can be a, a tangible reminder that, you know, this is something that I did yeah. that made this book possible. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, I know I've kept you for a, a long time here, but I have, I have one question I absolutely sure. need to ask you. Yeah. Um, please, actually, it's not a question. It's it's please tell me that you're going to be making prints of your uh, Star Wars alphabet fighters.
1: Um, oh, gosh. So the... The thing about that is that uh disney came in and this was untrusted in it but uh the gallery that i was working with said uh oh you know disney wanted to do a star wars themed show and Mm. basically any gallery out there that wanted to do a star wars themed show had to get uh you know official approval from disney and then on top of that uh and and traditionally galleries work they do a 50-50 split and with Disney now in the mix Disney says oh no no we get we get a cut of the sale of, of that piece that you did and then you guys divide what's left over right of course and um and then we, and then I had to sign a waiver we had to sign a waiver saying that uh <laughs> had to sign a waiver saying that like no one would be allowed to sell prints of the work without permission of disney Uh, and now the weird thing is that um and this was really this was really annoying because before i even finished the piece i had to submit a sketch to disney mm -hmm. for them to get approval of um and this was just for the approval of saying um we want to make prints out of this because they didn't necessarily uh, make prints out of all the work. Right. They just they just they just picked ones that they felt. So I'll say I'll say what they said to me. They said when when I got the email back, they said, um, we're not going to turn this into a print because it feels, quote unquote, off brand.
0: Oh, Mike, which to me was just like. So, look at some of the stuff that they've got out there that's supposedly on brand.
1: What it sounds like is that if it's not like a straight drawing of Darth Vader or Kylo Ren or whatever, you don't want it. Yeah. And so, you know,
0: your bird agrees.
1: Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, it was was unfortunate. the 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 show opened that night, and and the print. You need to cut it out. You. And the print sold before the show even opened. Really? You no, know, you know, I, I, I had put it up on, I put it up online, and you know, someone called the gallery and said, you know, whatever you price it at, I want it. Huh. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, unless I want, when I worked at Disney, we called the place Mauschwitz, So. <laughs> Unless I want Mauschwitz on my back,
0: I'm, I'm not allowed to sell another. We'll bag. have to just admire it from afar.
1: Though. But, but I all those all those fighters, I individually sketched each one. Yeah. So maybe if there's a particular letter that you want, I, we can work something out because I sketched good. the entire alphabet. <laughs>
0: well, I'll be in touch, and uh, I'm sure other people will be in touch as well.
1: <laughs> like Damn. The whole baby, like yeah. <laughs>
0: Dan, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, thank you. This has been a fascinating insight into into your process and how you work, and and uh, you know I know it's a year later. Congratulations again on the Caldecott, and I'm um, really you. looking forward to everything that you've got coming up. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you. Well, that's it for this week on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Fantastic interview. Jamie does really well solo. I think he does Not- good
0: not as good as i <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: right. we we make a much better team than either a of team. us
2: i i'm usually the one sitting there and i'll th- i won't ask very many during the entire thing but then i come up with like something really stupid and I'll. Go. no <laughs> talking about but something something i was thinking of when you said he got the call to cut metal um it's too bad that reading rainbow is not on pbs anymore because he definitely would have been featured on reading rainbow
0: well, you I know, think he Rainbow
2: is still around. And right.
0: Actually, I don't. I don't. They may have featured this book because once Maybe. a book wins the Caldecott, it's sort of on everybody's radar right. in terms of children's literature. So, um, I'd have to check, but I'm, you know, Lavar Burton is still doing Reading Rainbow. It's it's in sort of different, a different form. Right. A, I'm sure they've they've covered yeah, it. Yeah.
2: It's just he's seeing it on PBS, and you don't have to take my word for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget. Uh, i love that show walking around new york city interviewing the neighbors it's a good book what was (laughs) the first
0: show i'm about to start singing it so you might we might want to wrap up butterfly in the sky there There
2: in the oh reading rainbow i don't even know why we're talking about that now okay (laughs) all right guys thank you so much for coming back week after week listening to us talk i hope you have some laughs sometimes, maybe laughing at us.
0: Should should we drop a hint about next week? Because next week's a big event.
2: What's going on next week? I forget. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Are you serious? Uh, No, no, no. I'm just just joking. (laughs) Next week marks
0: one year from when we started. I don't know why we're not at 52 episodes. I don't know what we've done, but next week calendar wise is we, we
2: are like number wise we are there if you take our unplugs out no because i no, right they're separate
0: they're separate number system i don't Dang. know i think there were a couple weeks when we had to do two yeah. in one week for some reason because of people's schedules mm-hmm. um but next week calendar wise is one year so we're gonna do a little something something for hopefully for um <laughs> see if it one, works out <laughs> your anniversary um and if you don't see anything next week oops
2: <laughs> we're taking a break for our party <laughs> maybe it'll just be a regular maybe review. y'all could go have a party without us yeah. <laughs> so one year awesome I'm, I'm really happy about that a lot of podcasts don't like there was a couple of podcasts I was listening to and they just kind of dropped off after six months and you know you're yeah. sitting there and you're like come on and yeah. my, my favorite podcast uh, was one called Ear Biscuits with Brett and Link and they did it for like two years and they're just like yeah it was successful but they were just like yeah we're, t- we're we want to move on creatively you know, when that happens, you're just like... Oh. I can see that, yeah. Yeah, and and I can see it, too. Like, especially if you reach the height of, you know, if your podcast gets as high as it can go, right? Like, exactly. But, you know... We're, we're not st- there yet. We're not there yet. <laughs> we are not, not there yet. We're still yet. on an upward trajectory, <laughs> we're and we're ahead. having fun. Yes, exactly. As, as long as I get to talk to cool people, well, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Until Jamie says, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you annoy the crap out of me. all right guys um thank you so much for coming by week after week thanks for hitting subscribe and thank you for sending tweets out to people that have been on our show letting them know and you can do that if you haven't um it's always great to see and we love talking to you um you can get us at the gbb podcast on twitter and find us gbb the gbb podcast on facebook just get facebook.com slash and then put it in and uh we also have a phone number you can call
0: 301 825
2: 5653. 301 825 5653. And I am at 140justinC on Twitter. And I do, I have the Vine now. Remember, we were like, we don't have the Snapchat or the Vine. I'm on Vine now. So that's called 140justinC. Uh, Justin Justin's Twitter like, nine, he's like 19 now. That's I am. Awesome. I'm trying to appeal to teenagers. I'm this 30, 31 year old guy. And it's just not working.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't
2: know why. <laughs> I think I'll have to go for the at home parents or something parenting <laughs> fails i don't know <laughs> and uh jamie where are you at
0: i am at the Roarbots, t-h-e-r-o-a-r-b-o-t-s and also i'm on geek dad and
2: starwars.com hey, Star <laughs> <dun>, anyways <laughs> all right guys thank you so much see you next week take care for our one come year back. anniversary come back for the champagne <laughs> we'll do it in monster truck voices Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. One year anniversary. Cool. (laughs) Have a good week. (laughs) This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.